Good morning. How's everybody? Doing good? Man, I missed you guys the last week. We've been, you know, we've been in India. Just had a great time. And did you see Cloverhill News? Did you see that hot lady on that, that screen? Woo, that's my wife, Angie. Let's just play that back. Let's do that again, huh? I heard some, well, let's just go on. I'm doing a, uh, sometimes you need to stick to your notes. I'm starting a series today on the book of Malachi. And I really encourage you to turn on your, in your Bible, bring it over the next seven weeks. This series is going to last seven weeks right up to Christmas. And I think it'll be helpful. I usually have all the verses on the screen. I still will. But you can maybe just mark and highlight. If you use your smartphone, I encourage you to do that. Take some notes, jot down some ideas. I think, I think God has something for us. So when you're, as you're turning to your book of Malachi, I just want to say, and we might have already said it, but, but last week, Ante Holda Buntain was here. How many enjoyed her? Wasn't she awesome? And we were able to give $12,000 to her through, through for, every, for One Child Matters, her organization that she invests in. 11 people in India, Nicaragua team. So just exciting about what God is doing. And here's our desire for you that you'll know God. That's where it all starts. If you're visiting today or if you've been with us forever, we just hope you just keep growing in your knowledge of God, that you'll find freedom. That you don't have to live with addictions or attitudes or things that keep you from your full potential. That you'll discover your purpose. Because that's what God has created for you. Something specific and significant. And then that you'll make a difference. And that's what all this going and doing and investing and sinning, it's all about. And only when you're making a difference do you really begin to live the life. Paul says, then you begin to live true life. And so that's our hope to you. The book of Malachi. Let's just start right out the gate. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. You with me? Say, say, I'm with you. This is the oracle that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet of Malachi. Now, let me just give you some commentary. The New King James Version says burden. The Living Translation says message. So this is the oracle, the message, the burden. I like burden. The burden. There was a burden on God's heart for his people. And so this is what he does. When God has a burden, he burns his messenger. He burns his, pro- burns his prophet. And so Malachi comes to the people with this heavy burden. And you're going to see it over the next four chapters, the next seven weeks, of what he was burdened about. And he uses Malachi, the, Malachi in the Hebrew. All it means is messenger, Old Testament prophet. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It will be 400 years before God speaks again. So Malachi, 400 years, the Gospels. So just understand that I think that's, I think that's important. And then he gave it to Israel. And, and you've got to know the context of Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. Remember the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going your, your, to make your kids as, as vast as the stars. And I'm going to bless you so you'll be a blessing through you. Because I love everybody, I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to covenant with you and your people, and I'm going to provide for you and show my power through you, that every other nation will be envious of our relationship, that we'll want, that they'll want what we have, and that they'll turn to me, and they'll serve me. And so, so God, so God gives Malachi, messenger, this burden to share with the people of Israel. What was he burdened about? What was the burden for? And we'll, we'll get into it, but I think I need to lay a foundation. One, he was burdened that they wanted to be like the world. They wanted to be like everybody else. Israel did. And how many know you just you can't be like everybody else? They, and, and here's some of, the, some of the ways. 
when Moses went up on the hill, you remember way back, because you've got to go way back to Exodus, and he comes back with the Ten Commandments, and he sees that they've made this calf. They wanted to worship it. You know what that was all about? We want a God we can see. We want a God we can touch. We want a God like other nations have a God. You can't make a difference if you're not different. God was saying, look, I don't want you to be like that. And you've got to translate this into the New Testament. And here's what John said. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Don't look like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't think like the world. I, wanna, I want you to be different. Because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you want to be like the world, you, you, can't, you can't have one. You can't have the world. You're either living in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. Because the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the Israelites wanted to look just like the world. They had this constant pattern you'll find in Scripture that, that they were connected to God, that, that they, were, they were going after God, and then they would drift from God, and then he would discipline them. Over and over in their history, there was devotion and, and drifting and discipline, and devotion and drifting and discipline, and a lot of it because they, they, they just wanted to be like the world. Another thing that God was burdened for, and he put on Malachi's heart, is they were marrying women that worshipped false gods. So it, it was very important to God that it was just causing all kind of confusions. You, you, you can't, you, if, you're, if you're a believer and you marry an unbeliever, it just... It just, you just clash. It causes problems. It causes, it, it causes the kids to be confused. And God says, my heart is burdened for that. Again, if you look at the New Testament, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? We'll break this down in chapter 2. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? It just, it just can't. And, and can I just speak to the young people, the young adults, those that maybe are older, but in this, in this place where you want to get married or... You know what? You, you attract what you... You're going to get what you attract. And I, I just want to encourage you if, you, if you want a guy that's just interested in your body, then wear a short skirt and a low blouse and, and tight britches. Just, just look like them. That's what you're going to attract. But if you want to attract a godly guy, if you want to attract a man of God, then, then don't use your body as a bait to try to get him or try to capture him. Go after God with all your heart. Live with, listen, young man, if you want to attract a godly girl, then honor God, love God, walk with integrity, practice self-control, because you're going you're gonna to get what you attract. And then this was a big deal in the eyes of God. And we'll, 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 we'll lay it out over that. We'll, 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 we'll. Do you like that? We'll get it out. <laughs> Might take me a lot longer than I'd hope, but eventually we're going to get it out. And we're going to work through it. And then the last thing, and, and I think, is, I don't know, it doesn't matter what I think, but they didn't have a heart for the poor. They, they had used their blessing more for them than for others. And, and here, again, you've got to go way back to Deuteronomy. And here was the command of the Lord. I command you, Israel, and anytime you see Israel in the Old Testament, now the church represents Israel. We've taken Israel's place as his representative. I command you, uh, to be open, I command you, Israel. I command you, church. I command you, follower of Christ, to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. In fact, it was God's plan to really get rid of poverty using the Israelites, using their blessing, using their excess to to take care of that. But they didn't they didn't honor the Lord with that, and and they didn't look after him. If you study Israel's history, you'll find a nation that was characterized by false 
piety. They had this, this outward expression of religion where if you looked at their lives, it probably on the outside it looked good because they went to the temple and they sacrificed to God and, and they did the ceremony and they did their rituals. But God was really, he was really ticked off at them and displeased with them. He was furious over their unwillingness to care for the abandoned and the poor and the oppressed. He wanted to loose the chains of justice, not just for them to go to church on Sunday. He wanted his people to clothe the naked, not just to attend a midweek prayer service. He wanted his people to spend themselves on behalf of the hungry, not just sing a praise song. And they were engaged in religious activity, but they were not living lives that brought physical and redemptive hope to those less fortunate in their community. It's a big deal. Listen to, the, listen to the proverb writer, what he said. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 19, 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the poor. And the, lends to the, I'm not, I'm sorry, let me read it again. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. When you, you, you want to know how to make the heavens brass above your head, your prayer life feel disconnected, don't take care of poor people, those less fortunate than you are. Look, look Proverbs 28, 7, 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Here's what King Josiah, probably the, the most righteous king in the Old Testament, young boy that came to know the Lord and really brought revival to his nation, this is what it said. Josiah defended the cause of the poor and the needy. And so all went well. How many want it to go well in your life? I wonder if those two correlate. Is that not, and there, here's what really strikes me. Is that not what it means to know me? What does it mean to know me? What, what, what go, if I defend the cause of the poor and the needy, then, then I, I know the Lord, declares the Lord. It's a big deal. And then, you know, we just came back from India, and, and, and we look at that and think of that. And, and then it just doesn't stop in the Old Testament. This is a principle that moves over to the New Testament. And Jesus, probably the best picture is in Matthew 25, of where he talks about the parable of the sheep and the goats. And, and he says, look, there's coming a time where I'm going to separate my people like a shepherd separates his herd. And I'm going to put the sheep on my right hand. And, and, I, and this is what I'm going to tell him, hey, hey. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You visited me when I was in prison. You, you watched over me when I was sick. You clothed me when I was naked. You did say, come, man, come be with me. We're, we're going to enjoy eternity. We're going to enjoy togetherness for the rest of eternity. And you know what they respond? The sheep do. They respond, Jesus, when did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When did we take care of you? When did we come and visit you? Well, when you've done it unto the least of these You've done it unto me. And then he's got the goats on the left side, and he says, hey, guys, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't take care of me. And their, their response was the same. Lord, we never saw you. We, if we would have known, we would have done it. We didn't know, God. You didn't do it unto the least of these. And yours is inter eternal condemnation and, and damnation. You know what? I don't want to be a goat when I stand before God. I want to be a sheep that's invested in the lives of others, that, that's making a difference. Like I just said a minute ago, we've been in India. This is how it looks in India. We were with K.K. Devaraj. I mean, a 63-year-old guy. He's a national. He set up camp in 
and, and he, he bombed 18 challenges, what his church is called. And he went to the city to really reach out to the drug addicts. And about 20 years ago, he's walking through his city, really unaware at that time of what was going on. And some prostitutes come out from, from, the, from the area and drop their kids at his feet and says, Pastor Deveraj, will you please take care of my kids? He didn't even know there was a need. And, and I, I think it's so... It, there, some of us don't even know the need that's in Chesterfield County. We're so inward focused and we live in our four walls. We've not taken the time to walk amongst our city and find out the need and find out where we could feed and clothe and help and visit and care. That we don't even know what's going on. And friend, a lack of knowledge is not an excuse when you stand before God. And so, look, look I'm, it's a burden from the Lord. It's a heavy word. I warned you up front. But this is the word of the Lord to the people, to the church now, through the prophet Malachi. K.K. Deveraj, so he, so he went on a quest and he started just building relationships with all these girls. This is how it works. They will be, they will be tricked and, 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 and uh, brought. They'll be sold by a family member by, for as low as 600 American dollars. These young girls, 15, 16, 17, 8 years old, they'll be taken from their home and brought to these cities. And they're required to pay off their debt. And so they're beaten into submission. They're, they're drugged. They're, they are really manipulated. They're confused. And so for, the, for their next years, they try to pay off this debt. As many as they'll meet with as many as eight men a night, $5 a man to pay off the debt. By the time they get their, pay, their debt paid off, they're so broken. They're so hurting. They have so lost hope. That there's anything outside of that lifestyle. It's demonic, it's wicked, it's perverted, it's evil. They have been so turned upside down that they will spend the rest of their short life, because their lives are short because of sickness and disease, selling their bodies to make a living. But they want some, many of them want something better for their daughters. And so Brother Devaraj walks through these brothels, and he, and he takes them by the hand. We were able to go with him. And he look, grabs them by the hand like a grandfather, and he looks them in the eye. Not with, not with judgment and condemnation, but with grace and with compassion. And he puts his arm around them, and he loves on them, and he encourages them. And those that will let him, he prays for them. And over the years, he's built a relationship where they begin to give his kids. He set up right in the red light district of Bombay and New Delhi. They've set up these free clinics where the girls can come and get medicine, where their kids can come for after-school care. Where they, they're just a, it's just a ministry center that, center that they work out. And for the, some of the ladies that will give them their kids, they've done it right. They've done it through the government. They, they're fully, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a great ministry. They'll take them where they build a home of hope. And many, over the last 15 years, Clover Hill has invested... I don't say this like hundreds of thousands of dollars into the home of hopes and the things that are going on in that nation. He'll take them into these, these schools that, that, that are educating and providing. House parents that, that are believers, that are loving and discipling them. They'll see them through college and, they'll, and they'll, they'll even, that many of them have come back to work in the ministry and be a part. When you ask Devaraj, you'll say, how many kids do you have? He'll say, two, I have two bio biological and I have 300 that I've rescued from the streets of Bombay and New Delhi. 300 kids. Last week you heard about uh, Hoda Buntain and all her works in Calcutta and all they've done to eradicate poverty and bring help to those that are sick. 
And I, I, you know, many of you have heard mother, about Mother Teresa and her story and her doings in Calcutta. But listen to what she says. She said, Mother Teresa said, hey, you don't have to go to Calcutta. You don't have to go to New Delhi. You don't have to go to Bombay. Stay right where you are. Find your own Calcutta. Find the sick and the suffering and the lonely right where you are. In your own homes, in your own families, in your own workplaces, in your schools. You can find Calcutta all over the world. If you have eyes to see, everywhere you go, you'll find people who are unwanted and unloved and uncared for and rejected by society and completely forgotten, completely left alone. See, did, did you know, do you realize this, that, that there are almost 11,000 Christian churches in Virginia, 10,952, that declare themselves as Bible-believing churches. Yet there are 1,519 kids that are waiting to be adopted. That have no permanent home. That have no place to spend Christmas, Thanksgiving with a family that loves them. 11,000 churches and 1,500 kids. Something's not right with that. I said 11,000, not 1,100. 11,000 churches. 1,500 kids. You, You don't have to go to Calcutta. You can do it. We, we do a ministry now that we've just partnered with the food bank and from other churches in the area where our day is the fourth Saturday of the month where we'll go to Providence Elementary School and from 8 to 12, we'll feed 70 families that come and we'll put groceries. When I say we, it's not me, it's we, it's us. It's, uh, it's, it's what we're doing as a church and as our people that are going. Maybe you want to be a part of this. You get to share the gospel with them. And this is what I know. Justice without Jesus is injustice. If you're going to give them food, you've got to give them Jesus. Because food will take care of them physically, but Jesus will save them eternally. And so we're, we're doing, trying to do some things. Now here's my encouragement. It's a burden of the Lord. You're not looking after the poor. You're not looking after the downtrodden. You're not looking after the less fortunate. I love those people, and I want to love them through you. That's, that's, that's what Malachi is, is trying to say. And, it, and, and it just, these people had great, the Israelites had great promise. You follow me and I'll honor you. You worship me and I'll bless you. You stay close to me and everybody will know our relationship and what will we have. And that, that's the church. This is what it says about us now. Again, Israel, Old Testament, church, New Testament. You are a chosen people. Us, we, believers. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are people who belong to God. Why? That we could declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. I want to use you. I want to bless you. I want to touch you to reach the nation. Now it's the church. I want to use you. I want to fill you. I want to empower you. I want to bless you to touch the world for me and for my kingdom. I'm burdened. Uh, 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 Malachi says. And, and, so, and so he starts the whole thing out. The whole idea is, with, well, I have loved you, says the Lord. And, the, and, and again, I'm just trying to break this down, make it as simple and as understand as possible. But you got to understand in the next seven weeks, the whole, fr- the whole foundation is on this premise. I love you. I love you. And that's so unlike every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is based on works. I love you if. I love you if you obey me. I love you if you give your body and blow up other people. I love you. I, I, here it is. If you obey me, 
then, I'll, then it will compel me to love you. You know what Christianity is about? My love, hopefully, will compel you to obey me. I don't love you because of what you do. I love you because I've chosen you in your mind. And hopefully that relationship will turn into a place where you'll want to honor me. That, that you're, I'm not going to love you because of what you do. I'm going to bless you and help you and come alongside of you and forgive you and cleanse you. And because of that, I hope that you'll do what I want you to do. It's, it's, it's all about, I have loved you. And here, here's some principles that I've pulled out in these first five verses. And it's so important when we're trying to understand the love of God. When you don't see yourself as very bad, you cannot see God as very good. And this was the whole problem with the Israelites. What do you mean? What do you mean we're, we're bad? We, we do our religious ceremony. We, we, we do our practices. We're, we're not bad. What are you talking about? I'm telling you, this, is the, this here is the baseline of the gospel that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there's none righteous, no, not one. That all we like sheep have gone astray and turned to our own wicked ways. That our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You say, no, 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 no I'm a good person. No, you're not. And neither am I. We struggle. You know what the Bible says? If you want to see Jesus without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Be holy as I am holy. Well, I can't do that. Of course you can't. You know what that's like? It's like, it's like God says, if you want to connect with me, you've got to dunk a basketball on a 50-foot high goal. And that's impossible. But it, that's like what it is. And, and, you know, I used to be able to dunk like eight and a half feet. Now I'm down to like six and a half feet, and that's my vertical right there, jumping over. A little fun. They say LeBron James can dunk a basketball at 13 feet. But compared to 50 feet, you might be six, I might be seven, LeBron might be 13. But we all fall short. We all fall short. And until we realize what Christ has done for us, until we realize our depravity and our lostness, can we not fully love God and understand how great and how good He is? It's in Luke chapter 7. Here, here's how Jesus illustrates it. or spelled it out in Scripture. Remember a Pharisee invited him to his house. Am I boring you? A Pharisee invited him to his house and said, Hey, man, he was just trying to trick him and trap him. Hey, let's have a meal together. Let's hang out. And while they're talking and lounging, here comes this woman. The Bible describes her as a sinner woman. And she, she runs to, you know the story, she runs to Jesus' feet and just begins to kiss his feet. Tears, tears of, of, of uh, appreciation and thanksgiving flow and, and hit his feet. She lets down her hair, hair and wipes her feet. She takes out an alabaster jar of perfume. Some say it, it contained a year's worth of savings, her wages. And she anointed his feet, crying and wiping. And the Pharisee got so ticked off. That's what religious people do. So who is this? What's this? Uh, God, Jesus, if you were the son of God, you would have known what kind of woman this was. And so Jesus just has an opportunity to share with him. He said, hey, hey, there was this guy that owed $500. And there was another guy that owed $50. And neither one of them could pay back the debt. And so the man that they owed it to, he canceled it. Nobody has to pay. You're free of your debt. Go, go, you're done. Done with it. And Jesus said, who's going to love more? And the Pharisee said, surely the guy that had the greater debt. And he said, look, this woman comes into your house, my house, in your house. When I came in, you know the deal. You know the drill. You know our custom. You know what we're about. You're supposed to greet me with a holy kiss. How many are glad we don't do that anymore, man? But you're supposed to greet me with a kiss. 
I mean, that's just what we do. You know better. You're supposed, I've been walking on dusty paths for, for days. My feet are nasty. You're supposed to wash my feet or at least give me a basin to wash in. You know better. You're supposed to anoint my head with oil. You didn't do any of that. But this woman comes in, and she uses her tears and her hair and her, and her anointing, and, and you're mad. L- listen, here's the deal. He who has been forgiven much, he who understands how bad they are, loves much. They understand how good God is. That, that, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, I love you. I've loved you, says the Lord. I, I have a plan and a, a purpose for you. And you know how, you know how they respond? Let me, it, it's not in here, but I'm going to tell you. It's in chapter 2. And I shouldn't, should have known that by now. This is the third time doing this. But here it is. It, it's in chapter 2. Listen, I have loved... Oh, they, they, here's their response. I'm sorry. Here's their response. I just lost focus, but it's coming back. Here it is. Here's their response. How have you loved us? So anybody ever question the love of God? Here, here's what's happening. Man, I got a burden from the Lord. I got a word for you. And here's how it starts. I love you. Man, I love you. Here's their, how have you loved? It's like getting Micah, my five-year-old, and, and saying, Micah, man, man, I love you, pal. I just so appreciate you. And, and he just kind of slaps me in the face. What do you mean, Dad, you love me? If you, if you love me, I wouldn't have to take a nap every day at preschool. If you love me, Dad, I wouldn't have to share my toys with Maddie. If you love me, Dad, I'd get to watch more, more shows in the afternoon. And that's what Israel's saying. God has revealed his love to them, and their, their response is, God, you don't love us. What do you mean you love us? Look at what's going around. Look what's happening. Politically, we've lost everything, Israel says. We have no more influence or power. Financially, we're going bankrupt. Our walls are torn down. Nothing's good. What do you mean you love us? Here's another principle you need to know. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they get mad at God. And you know, that's what Israel's doing. They've sowed to the wind and they've reaped the whirlwind. They've not honored the Lord. They've not blessed him. They've not walked with him. They've not done what he's commanded. But then when it doesn't work out for them, it's God's fault. God, you're the one that did this. You don't love me. And that's so much like us. Our finances are in shambles, but we're not going to tithe and we're not going to create a budget and we're not going to get some counsel. And when it's good, God, you know, if you love me, things would be better. Our marriages are falling apart, some of them. I'm not going to get counsel. I'm not going to read a book. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to do that. God, it's your fault. See, people, they ruin their lives. This is a verse, by the way, it's in Proverbs 27. They ruin their lives by their own disregard for God and their own sin and their own foolishness. And then when it doesn't work out the way it's supposed to, they get mad at God. And God, God, God is saying, look, man, it's not my fault. If you'll do it my way, I, I love you. I, I want what's best for you. Here's, here's another principle. God expects us to change our attitude even if he doesn't change our circumstances. This is good. You know what the problem with Israel was? Here's what they would say to God. God, if you change our circumstances, we'll change our attitude. Uh-uh, uh-uh. We weren't created to be served by God. We were created to serve God. We, we just contrast that to the Apostle Paul. You remember Paul's in a prison cell on trial, waiting for his sentence. He's already been convicted as guilty. 
He's waiting for sentence. He can't go anywhere without God. He can't even leave his house. Guards are with him day and night. And, and, and you talk about an opportunity to have a sour attitude. You're talking about an opportunity to, to blame God and get mad at God. But he sits down and writes a letter to the Philippian church. And one of his main themes in the whole letter is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What do you mean, Paul? You're in a prison. You're under house arrest getting ready to die for your faith. And you want to rejoice in the Lord? You know what he says in Philippians 1.6? We're talking about attitude. Be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, do everything, folks, without grumbling or complaining. Don't wait for God to change your circumstance. Change your attitude in Jesus' name. Here's what he says. Realize that your citizenship is in heaven. I'm not, this isn't even my home. I'm not living for this. In fact, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Put in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Just make your request known to God. And let the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, talking about attitude, I've learned to be content in any situation. Fed, hungry, with, without. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In fact, I'm assured that God is going to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. Here, here's what it is. God accepts. Here's the Israelites. They're questioning God's love. They're not living according to his plan. And then they get mad. Their attitude stinks because it's not working the way it ought to. And they, 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 you, don't, you don't love me. And so here's his response. I'm going to show you how I love you. He's going to prove it. Malachi says, I've treated you differently than everybody else. And, and let's go back to Malachi 1-2. We're back in the book of Malachi. Bible's open wherever you're at. Was not... Esau, Jacob's brother. Let me just, again, give you some understanding. Esau and Jacob, twin brothers. They come out. Esau's a little bit older. He's the first one born. The Bible describes Esau as red and hairy. The only picture I get is he looks like Elmo. So we got this emo, Esau. And then we got Jacob. Jacob's the younger brother, the mama's boy. A little bit, little bit younger. They're brothers. Esau represents Edom. From these two men are two nations. Jacob represents Israel. That's who came from him. The Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but I have Esau I have hated. Or some versions say Esau I have rejected. I don't, I don't understand all this, nor can I probably explain it. There's probably somebody smarter than I can. But the Hebrews 12 says this. We get a little idea of Esau's life. No one misses the grace of God. No bitter root grows up. Here's what I want you to see. See that no one who is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. So we, we get a little understanding of the life of Esau in, in, in the book of Hebrews. But Esau I've rejected or Esau I've hated. In fact, I have turned his mountains or I've turned the, the place where the Edomites, Edom, Esau, Edom, that's his people, Edomites, I've turned them into a wasteland. And left his inheritance to the desert jackals. I mean, that's not a, that doesn't sound like a good thing. And Edom may say, they, they might pull up their britches and bow out their chest and say, though we've been crushed, we're going to rebuild the ruins. But this is what I say, says the Lord. They may, they may build, but I'm going to demolish it again. And they will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. And you will see it with your own eyes. And you'll be able to say, great is the Lord. Again, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand everything about this, but I do understand this, that, that God chose 
Jacob. God chose Israel. And Israel has been up and down over their history. They've been exiled. They've been, they've been in, but they are still around today. The Edomites, they're gone. They're no longer. Why is that? Because God covenanted with his people Israel. He covenanted with Jacob. He was faithful to them. He provided for them. He fought for them. He walked with them. He forgave them when they asked for forgiveness. He, he gave them what really many times what they didn't deserve. But he walked in grace and mercy and, and often held back his judgment, wanting that relationship to be strong. And again, you've got to read this in light of the New Testament. What does that mean for us? Jacob, I accepted, or Jacob, I loved, and Esau, I hated. Here, here's, here's Ephesians, two verses and a story, and then we'll be done. In him we were also chosen. That's you and me. This is New Testament now. We've all been chosen in Christ, and we have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Here's what I'm trying to explain. How have you loved us? I'm telling you how I loved you. I, I, I blessed you, and I rejected them. Well, how have you loved us now, God, in my day, in my situation? It doesn't look like you love us. If you loved us, things would be better. Man, I, I tell you how I love you. I've chosen you. I've predestined you. I've given you a purpose in order that we were the first to put our hope in Christ. Might be for the praise of his glory. Listen to how Romans says it. Now try not to scream it. For God knew. Let me get in my better voice. For God knew his people in advance. Just let this soak into your heart, man. This will change your life. He knew you before the creation of the world. And he chose them to become like his son. He chose you. No, God didn't love me. Yes, he loved you. He chose you. He set you apart. He called you out. He sent the Holy Spirit to, to bring you and draw you to Christ. He revealed his love. He's showing you his word. He chose you to become like him so that in his son would be that. Did I reread that? Verse 30, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. He clothed them in a robe of righteousness. You remember that scripture? Called them, brought them, chose them, and then clothed them or gave them right standing. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory, his presence, his eternal witness that he's with them. And what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? This is what we need to say. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And since he did not spare his son but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? A few more verses. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised to life for us, and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. How has God loved us? He saved us. He's not condemning us. He's raised us to life. He's pleading and interceding on our behalf. Can anything, again, I'm trying to convince you of God's love. That's Malachi's heart in verse 5. You want to know how God loves you? Can anything separate you from Christ's love? Listen to this. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity. Well, my world's just falling apart. God doesn't love me. Does, does it mean it, God doesn't love us if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or maybe even threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, there's overwhelming victory is ours 
through Jesus Christ who loved us. Here's the last principle I want you to know. We are chosen not because we're special. We're special because we're chosen. You, you, know, you know what religion, this is what religion does. Religion, God, a, a God goes into an orphanage and he waits around and he sits around looking for the best behave and the one with the most potential and the one that could do the most for him and says, hey, I'll take that one. You know what Jesus does? He goes into an orphanage and he says, hey, I'll take that one and that one and that one and that one. Give me the worst. Give me the broken. Give me the hurting. And I'll take them and I'll, and I'll live in them and I'll change them and you'll see what God is all about. And I'll make a difference in their lives and I'll reveal their love for them. God has chosen us. How has he loved us? First question. We're going to answer about six more questions over the course of this study. How has God loved us? He's chosen us. He's set us apart. He's called us his own. He's given us his spirit. He's continually walking and working with us. He's prepared a home for us. He's for us and not against us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. We're his and he's ours. He loves us. Amen, everybody. Amen.